0: Welcome to Love Your Heart, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic's Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute. These podcasts will help you learn more about your heart, thoracic, and vascular systems, ways to stay healthy, and information about diseases and treatment options. Enjoy.
1: I'm Dr. Steve Nissen, and uh, I'm here uh, with uh, two of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Melinda Sai, who's in our imaging section in the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine, and Dr. Nick Madeira, who is a cardiac surgeon uh, who has uh, tremendous expertise in treating, surgically treating, uh, hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. And together, we're going to talk about uh, the options for treatment of this disorder. So let's begin with Dr. Desai. So what is a hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy, or hokum? What is it, and uh, how do you diagnose it? So
2: HCM, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, it is... A disease that has been described for the last 60 odd years which is where the heart muscle there is uh, exuberant hypertrophy of the heart muscle which is typically not explained by other factors like hypertension Uh, a fascinating aspect of this is that it results in in almost 70% of patients it results in obstruction to the flow of blood which is dynamic meaning the meaning of dynamic it's not a fixed obstruction it can there there will be times when there is no obstruction to the flow of blood but then there is other times when uh, there's significant obstruction to the flow of blood uh, due to a phenomenon called systolic anterior motion of the mitral valve or sam wherein the mitral leaflet is dragged into the outflow tract causing obstruction to the flow of blood so it is also commonly seen in fairly young patients, uh, but we have recognized that it can be prevalent in the full age spectrum. And a familial predisposition. And there is a familial predisposition in an autosomal dominant mode. The rate of, uh, the rate with which we see it in the community is about, it's thought, has long been thought to be about one in 500 prevalence. Uh, but recent data is emerging where it says the prevalence could be as high as 1 in 200 uh, in these patients. So, so it's pretty common. It is pretty common. Yeah. It is very common. So how do patients present? So uh, patients uh, often are very are asymptomatic. They don't know. You may pick it up on an abnormal electrocardiogram, which uh, it could be dramatically abnormal, the symptomatic patients uh, very often present with uh, progressive shortness of breath, uh, dizziness, uh, lightheadedness. Often uh, they present with syncope passing out, uh, and rarely they also present with uh, sudden cardiac death, yes. So, which is what causes a lot of angst because a lot of these patients are young.
1: Okay, let's talk for just a moment about traditional mm-hmm. medical treatments. Yeah,
2: so traditionally, uh, Once the diagnosis is made and once you identify that they have obstruction to the flow of blood causing a lot of their symptoms, the the first thing we do is uh, initiate lifestyle modifications. So, The things that increase outflow tract obstruction, the dynamic obstruction. So what we tell patients not to do isometric exertion or avoid dehydration, avoid excessive alcohol intake, avoid sudden changes in position. Uh, These are some of the lifestyle modifications that work well in many patients. If these don't work or rather you need something more, then traditionally we have relied on medications that slow the contractility of the heart or, and or reduce the heart rate, sort of like beta blockers, uh, something like atenolol, metoprolol. If these drugs don't work uh, in some patients or they have side effects, then we can use certain type of drugs called calcium channel blocker. The most common being verapamil. The third line, if if these things don't work or you have maxed out on the dosages, then people have tried uh, disopyramide, uh, which is. Uh, which can also reduce the gradient and reduce the contractility. Now, an important thing that needs to be said around the medical therapy is none of these really have been tested in a randomized controlled trial. And of so, course,
1: they don't change the anatomy. And they do not change the anatomy. Yeah. So. So. So you got now you have patients that they haven't responded to medical therapy and. Uh, I'm going to turn to Dr. Spadera because you've probably had as much experience as anybody in the world. You've got a surgical option that works really pretty well, and maybe you could describe for us what you do and, and sure. what the results look like.
0: Sure, I think I think one of the one of the uh, what should I say new understandings that we've developed here at the Cleveland Clinic. And uh, Malin sort of hinted to that. We, we've been primed for sixty years to think of hypertrophy as sort of the sine qua non of what you need to understand uh, the problem of obstruction with blood getting out of the difficulty of the blood getting out of the heart. And what we have tried to evolve our thinking to from a surgical perspective is there are multiple reasons why you can have obstruction. And classically, it's the septum gets thick or hypertrophied, which leads to obstruction. But what imaging studies have shown and what we have identified, which leads to your, my answer to your question, is it can be a combination of the muscle and the mitral valve. They are sort of together and define the channel for the blood to leave the heart. If it gets thick, you can get obstruction. If the mitral valve is slightly off axis, too long, too mobile, you can get obstruction. So using the imaging studies, it guides me to think through the surgical techniques, which traditionally have been just cut the thick muscle. Do an extensive myectomy, and we have modified and and extended the, the myectomy, and probably 80 plus percent of our patients, that's all they need. But as we became more attuned to the fact that you can have obstruction without hypertrophy, and our long-standing expertise in mitral valve repairs here at the Cleveland Clinic, we've now combined resection or removal or thinning of the septum, if possible, with a number of different surgical techniques to modify the behavior of the mitral valve which leads to us being able to expand valve saving so we can avoid valve replacement op- uh, op- operations in patients with a combination of muscle and valve generating obstruction.
1: And how good are the results? I mean, how, do people feel better? Do they, can they exercise more?
0: How, how good is this operation? Yeah, it's, it's probably one of the most rewarding operations I do. Um, patients, when we follow them out long term, Uh, have a return to normal functional capacity like any other person in the U.S. that does not have obstruction and their life expectancy is exactly the same. Uh, The mitral valve interventions seem to be quite durable. Um, I don't know if we consider them permanent but they're they're very, very successful. Our rate of needing a pacemaker in the average patient is is 1% or less. So it's a very safe reliable and durable operation. But it is open-heart surgery for sure. It's definitely open-heart surgery. We have to go through the middle, although we are exploring in certain uh, uh, conditions doing robotic approaches, especially if they have coexisting mitral valve disease, but it is open-heart surgery. You do have to go on the heart-lung machine. I do have to stop your heart to work on
1: it. Do, um, does the muscle ever regrow?
0: Uh, no. The best of my knowledge, uh, and what I tell every patient is once you reach a certain age, there's not a capacity to regenerate muscle. Although, as you know, we've done many, many studies here to, to, to put in stem cells and all sorts of things with the idea that, hopeful that they could regenerate. The, the way to, to, to make sure that the patient doesn't have enough is to do an extensive myectomy, to take a significant amount of muscle and the skill. That's required for the myectomy is to have imaging experts that tell me how thick it is, and then the experience to know exactly how much to take so I make it thin enough but not too thin. It's really a highly
1: specialized procedure that's probably best done by people who do a lot of them. Would you agree with that?
0: There, there's no doubt. It's it's a it's a you're working inside the heart. It's a very narrow a lot of vital structures on either side. You have to take enough, but you can't take too much. Yep.
1: Now. Um, so, the three of us are working on a potential alternative to surgery, and it's a new medications and Maybe, Belinda, you can talk about yeah. what this drug is and how it works yeah,
2: and you know uh, so, yes, like you mentioned uh you know. We've had excellent track record with surgery and, and excellent results. Patients feel like a million bucks, but it is still open heart surgery. So, you know, to push the envelope of science forward, I mean, we, we've we been working with this new drug. There's a new drug out that is being currently developed, Hampton. Uh, essentially, what this drug does is uh, it, Works at a microscopic level, essentially what patients have with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is they have thick myocytes at a microscopic level and that are contracting, that are in a state of hypercontractility. There is something called the the bridges. There are bridges in between these different myocytes and uh, studies have shown that in, in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, there are a lot more bridges. That are moving a lot, and so there's a lot of expenditure of energy. And so it essentially there's some chaotic movement at a high expenditure of energy and results in in stiffness or non-compliance of the heart in you know, a in a big picture. So
1: it's stiff and it's hypercontractile.
2: It's hypercontractile and it is stiff and it uses more energy. So this new drug essentially. We think uh, our studies have shown at a at a fundamental level, and now in patient-related uh, studies, where it reduces the contractility, it reduces the energy utilization, it reduces the functioning of those bridges that I mentioned, and it has the potential of reducing uh, or improving compliance of the of the heart.
1: Uh, Does it affect the gradient?
2: Yes. So an important notice, uh, an important thing that we have seen is that the the fundamental problem of symptom cause in hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy is the gradient. What it does is, it has been shown to dramatically reduce the outflow tract gradients. Uh, In multiple uh, studies that have led up to now. And what about relieving symptoms? And there is a significant improvement in symptoms and functional capacity. Now uh, because an obvious thought process is if it is going to reduce contractility, could it reduce your heart function overall ejection fraction? Uh, That obviously has been a concern, but it has been studied well uh, in multiple patients in multiple studies and the concern is it does not cause significant reduction in ejection fraction in vast majority vast vast majority of the patients, yet it re- results in a substantial reduction in gradient, and the patients feel better yeah.
1: and so the study that uh, the two of you are going to be doing together. Um, uh, what's the design? What does it look like?
2: So the study you are referring to, it's called the Valor HCM trial, uh, and essentially this is the the concept is a little bit innovative. It is obviously a randomized controlled trial and blinded study where uh, we we hope to recruit uh, about hundred patients or so in about fifteen sites. Uh, all experienced HCM centers with excellent uh, septal reduction therapy programs uh, throughout the USA, and the plan is: we want to blind half a group to placebo, half a group to mavacamten. Uh, these are all symp- pa- hy- obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patients that are that have advanced symptoms that are maxed out on tolerated medical therapy, like we talked about. So they are close to end of the road where their next option is essentially either surgery or I'll call septal ablation. And we plan to randomize them into two groups for the first 16 weeks where one group will get placebo, one group will get the the drug, and we will reevaluate them at 16 weeks to see how they are doing. The hope or the hypothesis is that this drug, because it significantly reduces the gradient and improves the dynamics, uh, the patients will feel better, and we may be able to push, uh, stave off a surgical procedure. At least in some of them. At least in some
1: Yeah, of them. And uh, so this is an interesting and innovative approach. Uh, I think all of us involved here do not expect this to replace surgery, no. but it may allow at least some of the patients to have relief of their symptoms, maybe either delay surgery or maybe avoid it entirely yeah. if exactly. uh, their symptoms get a lot better. Yeah. So it'll be an interesting uh, study to complete. Uh, it's about to start, and uh, uh, it's great that uh, we have both a, a surgeon and a non-surgeon that are experts in this disease working together, advancing uh, medicine, and I think it's an exciting development. So thank you all for uh, watching, and, and thanks to both of you for helping everybody understand uh, what's going on, what's really new with uh, with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen at clevelandclinic.org slash loveyourheartpodcast.